Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and all my venture crypto capitalist friends out there. Welcome to ICO 101, a crypto 101 podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Paul. At ICO 101, we look at upcoming coin and token offerings from the average person's perspective. That is, you and me. We preview pre- and post-sale offerings while engaging with the leaders of these companies in order to help you make an informed decision on how you want to participate in those offerings. ICO 101 Podcast is on the Crypto 101 Podcast feed, so please find Crypto 101 Podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and CastBox. Leave a positive rating and subscribe to it. It helps us stay at the top charts. Visit our website at ICO101Podcast.com. I'm very active on Twitter, so please follow me there at sup Aaron Paul. And while you're at it, follow the show at ICO101podcast. Send me all the private messages you want. I love getting them and try to respond as fast as I can. Please don't forget that I am not a professional investment institution, bank, lawyer, or accountant. I'm not offering any legal accounting or financial advice. So please make sure you listen, take notes, research, and make your own informed decisions when deciding to invest. Hey, everyone. This is Matthew Aaron. Sorry to interrupt. I just had to pop in and tell everybody about Crypto 101's Johnny's Guide to Cryptocurrency is now available for sale. Pick up a copy on anywhere you enjoy buying your books from. Amazon, Kindle Paperback, Barnes & Noble, Nook & Paperback, iTunes, eBook, and much more. You can even pick it up using Bitcoin, Ethereum, or Litecoin. Find the link in the description below and pick up your copy today. And now, back to you, Aaron. For this week's episode, I had the pleasure of speaking with Linda Wong, the Chief Commercial Officer of LendingBlock. Linda has been in the crypto space since 2014 and is an enthusiastic crypto investor and entrepreneur. Our goal was to give you all the 101 on lending on the blockchain. I'm fascinated on the future of lending on the blockchain. It's something I have not spent enough time on, so I was happy to have Linda on to talk about the subject. So without further ado, please enjoy the show. Well, look, let's uh, let's get to it. Linda Wong, welcome to ICO 101. Thank you. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks for having me. Today, we want to give the listeners a 101 about lending block. You are perfectly suited to walk us through this as you are the co-founder and chief commercial officer of lending block. And this is a topic that's super interesting to me. And as we talked about offline, quite frankly, I don't know much about how it works. And I've been looking forward to speaking to an expert on this subject. So it's really awesome having you on. And what we want to do is give the listeners a 101 on lending on the blockchain. How does it work? Uh, How is it the same or different than traditional lending from a normal financial institution and so on? But first, before we get into any of that, how about we tell the listeners a little about yourself? Great. Yeah, I'd love to start there. So like you said, Chief Commercial Officer and Co-Founder of Lending Block. Uh, I started the company about uh, 12 months ago now, and we are building security lending uh, for digital assets. So that is kind of who I am. My background is I studied computer science uh, at UCL. I also studied at Cambridge. I then became a management consultant at Deloitte uh, for technology, initially uh, kind of doing financial services consulting, uh, and then moved into the blockchain lab in 2014, working on uh, the Ethereum protocol and building kind of identity applications on the blockchain uh, for a couple of years and then I moved to build my own lending platform for kind of a traditional asset class mortgages Mm -hmm. 
uh, back in 2016, uh, before then looking into the blockchain space again, looking at how the crypto asset market developed and seeing the opportunity of lending, which was so underserved and so necessary, mm. and decided to come back and reapply my knowledge of the lending space into crypto assets. So 2014, you started in the crypto space. You're like an OG in the, as we call it in the US. You've been around for a little bit, huh? A little bit. At that time, you know, crypto wasn't popular or hot. It was all about blockchain and, you know, the influence blockchain would bring for traditional use cases of technology. Uh, whereas now, you know, it's all the talk is about crypto. I mean, still blockchain is, you know, being used and stuff, but crypto mm. assets has just, you know, boomed. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's dive into lending on the blockchain. Why don't you start out by explaining how lending works in traditional finance? What is it? What is the history of it? What is interest and what is lending even good for? Yeah, so I think kind of taking it back to the basics, lending is basically the cost of the kind of time value associated with money and any asset class, be it crypto assets or any virtual currencies or, you know, um, cash, equities, bonds, they all have a cost associated to it. Mm -hmm. But that cost is, you know, the cost for trading on the spot value. So if you want to exchange, there's a cost to it. But also people want to be able to forecast their spend. So forecasting means potentially understanding what that cost of that asset maybe you know one week two weeks uh, or even like a day in advance and basically to be able to manage their risk associated with this change in the value of uh, that asset they want to be able to have a mechanism in which they are borrowing in advance or lending in advance to be able to understand and associate with that kind of risk uh, that's involved over this kind of time period and time horizon. So kind of understanding that that gives the interest rate of any asset class and being able to borrow and lend is almost the most essential thing after exchanging the exchange of an asset at spot. So taking it back to basics, you can see uh, borrowing and lending at its most basic level at your bank. So you can borrow or lend out your cash. So everything that's sitting on in your bank and you're earning interest rate on it is a form of borrowing. Uh, the mortgage you have on your house is another way that you are taking out credit uh, or the bank is giving you credit to be able to afford your house over a certain period of time, car loans, student right. debts. All of these are mechanisms in which you can pay for something upfront and then over time in order to afford the full cost of something without having to settle and put down the full cost of something upfront. Can you compare what you just said to how it works in the crypto space or how it's supposed to work or going to work? Yeah, so having kind of an ecosystem for taking credit or being able to borrow and lend allows someone to get an asset and take a position on it, whether it is to use it uh, without having it. So if we look at traditional finance again, and we see how commodities, equities uh, are traded, there's basically a market which is called securities lending for these asset classes. 
So that means anyone who has, for example, a stock uh, or for example, Apple or Krispy Kreme might be wanting to take a position on it. So whether that is for shorting purposes or whether they you know, might have a need to take voting rights, take dividends or whatever that stock actually offers them, they might want to borrow it. So in cryptocurrencies, there similarly exists a market demand for borrowing. Sometimes it is to make you know, potentially a position, a trading position on it. So you might think the value is going up or down, uh, or sometimes it is you want to build Ethereum application or you want to pay your developers in Ethereum, but currently you're sitting on Bitcoin, whatever it might be, you might have a reason you want to borrow it. Uh, as a potentially a holder, uh, you are also kind of invested into cryptocurrencies. And at the moment, there is no mechanism currently for lending out your assets. So what we really uh, are trying to build here with Lending Block is a platform whereby both borrowers and lenders can uh, take or make a loan based on their portfolio needs uh, and give them the ability to earn yield or uh, take income off their portfolio holdings or give them a market whereby they can actually borrow in order to take a position, potentially fill a gap in the liquidity, uh, potentially uh, use it for its whatever blockchain value it has for that particular client and give them a market in order for them to be it speculate but also mainly to trade those loans so that they can have access to an asset which they don't currently own but are able to take a view on it in this market. You're, you talked a lot about the commercial side of it, and I want to get into the commercial side of it, but I want to also ask you from a retail investor yeah. side of it, if yeah. I have one Bitcoin just sitting in my wallet, how can I, Aaron Paul, put yeah. it up to loan and how can I get paid for it? So I think there are a few methods currently on the market. And let's just kind of call this market very early stage. Uh, we have seen a boom in some of the lending platforms that have uh, started to exist currently. And they mainly exist in a few kind of different outlets. If you, Aaron Paul, are sitting on a bunch of Bitcoin or some Bitcoin and you want to earn interest rate, the best way is to go to you know some existing lending platforms for uh, targeted at retail where you can see the rate advertised on the website. You can basically put it down as a deposit and you can earn interest on it. And that normally is, you know, there are a few kind of retail lenders out there. I'm not going to advertise who they are, but they're really easy to find. Uh, there are also exchanges. Mm -hmm. So some exchanges offer deposit earning, kind of interest earning deposits. So that includes some high street names like Liquid, uh, like, you know, I think Bitfinex, Poloniex. They all have... Uh, lending pool for their markets internally. So that means you're lending out your crypto for people who want to do margin lending, for example. Right. I'm not trying to advertise other platforms. I legit just am curious as a retail kind of noob, if yeah. you will, how yeah. it works. And how can I borrow money? And does the money have to be collateralized? How, do, how does that work? 
So if you want to borrow, there are normally two ways currently you can do it as well. Uh, so one is you can go on an exchange and you can take a margin loan on any exchange. So that's when you go into an exchange and you see rather than kind of trading on spots. So when like buying and selling at this current time, you can take out a 2x, 3x uh, position. Um, and or uh, even up to you know 100x with some platforms where you can basically say I have one Bitcoin but I'm going to borrow this money and trade up to say two times that value so I will act as if I have two Bitcoins and take a position over time uh, and see whether that value goes up or down. So another way you can borrow crypto is either you can go on an exchange and for example, look at the margin available on that particular exchange and that is dependent on their liquidity. So for the most traded crypto assets, for example, Bitcoin or Ethereum, you can take out on most exchanges uh, a 2x to 5x loan um, and that uh, basically allows you to borrow two to five times uh, the amount of uh, asset you currently have and as it moves up or down you basically pay the interest rate on that particular exchange for that particular asset and then you also uh, win or lose multiplied basically the multiple that you have for is lending block going to offer this service? So no. So the type of lending that we offer is fully collateralized loans. Okay. So you guys are a collateralized platform. Can somebody in the blockchain space, in the crypto space, borrow money yeah. without collateral? And is there some kind of credit score or rating score that is tracking who's borrowing money that's not collateralized? Yeah, so margin lending is not fully collateralized. So it basically looks at your cash position on the exchange and it will let you borrow as you go. Other ways of borrowing in the current market is if you're an institutional financial services type of business and you have a very good cash position, mm -hmm. you can sometimes go to OTC lenders yeah. and take a loan out based on your cash position. So rather than having crypto assets and putting them up they can basically look at you from a credit score perspective or potentially from the other types of business you're already involved with that particular client or service and give you a loan based on you know how well your cash position is in the market or whether you have a really good reputation so I know some of our clients and some of our partners are doing that for particular clients. Uh -huh. And that is why they have really long relationships with right. those clients. Right. Yeah. They're really not much for the individual. I mean, somebody's not going to yeah. go on the blockchain and say, hey, I need to buy a car right now. Here's my traditional financial credit score. Give me Bitcoin. <laughs> That's currently not possible. I know there are a few people working on credit scores. I think Bloom might be one of them. We're not working with them at the moment. I think it's still a very early space to get involved in. And because people are anonymous on the blockchain, uh, it makes kind of lending on credit uh, in credit-based systems really difficult, yeah. right? So 
even for us, we are validating everyone, uh, all of our clients from a personal standpoint, from an institutional perspective. And even so, we're still collateralizing their loans. And if there's a dispute, who arbitrates the smart contract? Okay, so I guess it depends on the particular lending platform. In almost all of the platforms that I know, you sign up to, in our case, lending terms, a rule book, which sets out our terms for lending and borrowing. Mm -hmm. So you have to adhere to those rules. There's no real negotiation or arbitration involved. So you sign up to the fact that you'll be fully collateralized at all times. Uh, You will be given a spread uh, of margin that you need to adhere to. Mm -hmm. And if if you're borrowing and you can't adhere to those margin requirements, uh, we will notify you as and when you need to put up more money to collateralize your position on that particular loan. Mm-hmm. And we will require you to put that up within a certain time frame. If you don't or if there is kind of a falling market, then we will insert ourselves into the position and liquidate your position in order to secure the value of the loan for the lender. You list some examples earlier. Yeah. And so I want to ask this question, and maybe you can maybe expand on some of the examples you use. So if the money is collateralized, then why would they want to borrow the money? Is it because it's in Bitcoin, like you said, and they really need F? And is it only limited to cryptocurrencies, or can we borrow tokens? Yeah, so when I say cryptocurrencies, I mean both coins and tokens. Like you said, why do I? Why am I going to take out a collateralized loan rather than buying an asset outright? So that depends on who you are and what you kind of foresee. And there's a cost to borrowing as well. So our platform, for example, is targeted uh, towards uh, on the borrow side traders long short funds market makers exchanges and uh, if i kind of i can give you kind of the three main reasons why they would borrow so uh, short strategies are the main ones so say you have bitcoin you think big you're a bitcoin maximalist and you think bitcoin is going to go up in value but at the same time, you think Ethereum is going to have no value because ICO volume is going down and no one's going to have a need for Ethereum anymore. Mm-hmm. So the strategy you might take in this position would be you would collateralize your Bitcoin, basically use it as a mechanism to borrow ETH that you don't have. So you're taking simultaneously a long position on Bitcoin and a short position on ETH. The way you would do that is when you've put down your Bitcoin to borrow ETH, the ETH value might be trading at, say, 200 right now, but you think it's going to go down to 100. So you would borrow the Ethereum. It will then go down to 100. You then sell your Ethereum, and then you make the margin on uh, that profit. So you earn 100 by selling the Ethereum once you've borrowed it. So that is kind of a strategy that traders might want to take which have this kind of long short strategy. Another way is, for example, you know, there are a few CFDs out there, exchanges out 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. They they might have a really big position on the exchanges or like or the book, and they all of their clients are taking a long position on Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. So they currently don't need to settle that or have that basically Bitcoin to give away. But once if all of those people who are taking a long position on Bitcoin are basically calling to extract their Bitcoin out of that market. They might need to actually go out and borrow that Bitcoin in order to settle that to their clients. Um, so that's another way of like a situation where uh, an exchange or a CFD provider or another kind of financial service in the market might want to take out a loan to be able to hedge their position in their current market. And then you know, on the lending side, you might have long funds. So uh, funds which are sitting on kind of a pool of crypto assets that they think are going to go up in value in about 10 years time. So what are they going to do in the meantime, they would want to lend them out uh, and earn interest like you would do on securities. Also, you know, miners, exchanges, custodians, they're all big pools of funds uh, where clients have deposited and you know they and their clients are interested in earning an interest return on those assets while they're not uh, doing anything and sitting in a wallet somewhere right so that those are the kind of two sides of the clients that we're targeting how is all of this institutional commercial grade lending platforms good for the space because as a retail investor yeah I, I look at all this and i think great awesome these you know big companies they're taking large chunks of fiat currency buying a good chunk of the crypto assets great liquidity but how does that help me the retail investor the mom and the pop the dishwasher yeah. the trucker so i think having kind of a demand from an institutional space. What does that actually mean for the retail investor? It means that people whose jobs it is to manage other people's money. So that's what banks and that's what hedge funds and that's what you know family offices do. They're the one who have the largest pool of money from retail investors. And they're taking a look at Bitcoin, Ethereum, and crypto asset market as a whole. And they're thinking to themselves, okay, I have demand from 
not only the retail investor side who have seen, you know, the growth and the boom in uh, cryptocurrencies as a market as a whole and really want in on it, right? Mm. How can they create easy access for these retail investors and allow them to take a swing in the same way that, you know, they are allowing access into the stock market? for retail investors. They're allowing uh, access into bonds and you know normal interest rates that you earn in a bank. How can they generate interest or how can they generate exposure into these markets more easily for the consumers? So that's what we're seeing is happening by allowing the infrastructure that for you know big institutionals to be able to trade in digital asset market and allowing them the infrastructure whereby they, by giving them access to this infrastructure, mm. they can allow, you know, smaller moms and pops to get exposure to it more easily. Because let's face it, it is very technical. It is not easy to manage your, you know, crypto assets across a diverse pool of different protocols, different blockchains, different wallets. Sure. So that's, that's kind of how this really helps the consumers who are kind of the end users, the end kind of pockets of money to be able to actually access this marketplace. Sure. But when, and I understand there are definitely still limitations for the average consumer. Yeah. Certainly. But when does the space, Yeah. the space that people think, they can get away from the institutional side, from the, the big sharks, if you will. When does it yeah. become too institutionalized? Um, when does it become too institutionalized? I think what the crypto asset market has been able to do is basically put institutions and average consumers on an equal level playing field in terms of access to the market. That means you are going to be using the same tools to some extent to the ones that you know institutions use such as exchanges such, such as potentially you know lending platforms that otherwise uh, you wouldn't have access to in traditional financial markets i think the question isn't whether uh, the space will become too institutionalized it's about how much transparency there will be and whether you know the, the increase of institutionalization will d- deter transparency going forwards mm. so i think you know the amount of otc buying and selling uh which is kind of you know a, a private venue for exchanging of assets rather than kind of the data that we see going through exchanges. The growth of that is starting to potentially limit the way that not just institutions, but, you know, normal consumers have a view on the price of these markets and how uh, the prices in those kind of potentially secondary markets such as futures and other types of derivatives are influencing the markets on the prime uh, the primary markets so i think that's where things might become dangerous i think the platforms which we are trying to build uh, lending platforms they allow better price discovery by allowing people to take a view on you know what is uh, the potential you know, cost of 
lending or borrowing these assets over time. And I think that is really important for the maturity of the space, not just for institutions, but also for um, kind of your average consumer who not just who doesn't want to just speculate on the price of these assets, but really want to earn interest while in the meantime while they're holding on to these assets as well. Sure. I would like to take you to a 30,000-foot view of the crypto space, and in particular, lending. And where is lending in this space today from your specialty, the institutional side and the retail side? And what can we expect lending on the blockchain to look like in the next one to five years from both a retail and an institutional side? And on your end, how are you guys leading the charge? So if I take that kind of bird's eye view at the kind of offering that currently exists in the marketplace is I think I see four different types of lending. The first one is the retail space. So I can totally name a few of these, you know, in the market, this Salt, this uh, Eastland, this Celsius, this Ripio, Nexo, so on and so forth. So all of these are targeted focus on lending, uh, particularly fiat against digital collateral, but also uh, crypto to crypto. Mm -hmm. This is small bulletin based lending, where I will say as a lender, I have uh, five ETH, what is my interest rate on this for someone who wants to borrow five ETH. And then you get kind of small amounts of interest rate uh, because you're lending and borrowing such small amounts of uh, digital assets. Then you have restricted borrowing. So restricted uh, meaning you can only borrow and lend within certain platforms. So you have that, for example, within Bitfinex, Liquid, uh, Poloniex, so on and so forth. So some of these exchanges are doing lending themselves. Some of them are kind of pooling client assets. They are allowing clients to borrow and lend within the kind of exchange ecosystem. And then there's kind of a very manual but uh, institutionally focused platform, uh, OTC lending. So some of our clients include Genesis and OSL. They have borrowing lines available to the kind of institutional users for borrowing and lending crypto assets on a case-by-case basis. And then you have these kind of single protocol-based platforms. I I think comes to mind Compound and Dharma and there are a few others in the space as well. So they're restricted to Ethereum ERC-20 Mm -hmm. token uh, markets that kind of covers less than 25% of the market in terms of the amount of tokens and coins available out there. So that's kind of, I think, a broad outline of the space in general. I think that two things are going to happen in the next five to 10 years in terms of the lending market in crypto. I think some of these assets are going to go out of favor and that we will, you know, we have already started to see questions about utility for a lot of tokens. So while there is still a demand for trading them, and particularly with these tokens who have no perceived value, people will 
spoil them in order to make you know a short sale profit on them in the meantime. So I'm going to basically speculate them until their value goes to zero, and then no right. one will borrowing and lending them at all. There's going to be consolidation on the coins um, available for borrowing and lending, coins and tokens. Uh, we're going to see a lot more assets on loan. So taking kind of the U.S. stock uh, market, for example, there's about $15 trillion uh, uh, of assets in circulation, and about 12.5% of those assets are on loan, and that's about $2 trillion worth of assets. And the amount of interest earned is uh, about $4.5 billion. So if we take that snapshot view of the U.S. securities lending market as a view, and if we look at, for example, BlackRock as a company, they earn about $6 million alone on securities lending revenue last year. That's that's a huge market for any lending platform for the lending space. So I think not just digital assets in terms of Bitcoin and Ethereum will exist in the next 10 years, but we'll see a migration of traditional assets. So let's say Apple bonds, let's say, you know, government bonds, um, digital cash opportunities, all of these different asset classes. I think the blockchain, because what we're seeing is we're seeing the transparency and the blockchain nature that allows assets to be traded transparently and quickly and peer-to-peer. We're going to see the migration of these assets going forward. So I see the digital asset space increasing by, you know, tenfold, maybe fivefold in the next, you know, five to ten years. And, you know, the lending market will grow along with it, taking it to parity with maybe the traditional securities lending. So at the moment, we see maybe 0.1% or less of the kind of outstanding uh, assets in circulation of about, you know, market cap of about 200 billion uh, out on loan. I think we're going to see a growth in that percentage uh, and a growth in the interest earned around those assets. Fantastic. I like to get into the mind of leaders, and my strength is in business operations, so I've had many lessons learned over the years. So for you, what was either one of your biggest successes or top-ranking failures as a leader that leads you to believe you will succeed in what you were setting out to do with Lending Block? What we thought we had was, you know, the two of us founders, we came from financial services and consulting backgrounds. So we have seen the rise and falls of companies, uh, particularly Steve, who's my co-founder. He worked at Lehman Brothers, right? So they were, like you said, one of the big bad guys who had a lot of problems internally on their kind of mortgage-backed securities and so on. They don't have a friendly reputation. Uh, You know, man, a lot of people probably forgot about them by now. I mean, at least from the from the retail side of things. Yeah, but you know the the impact of the, of that, you know, has seen the ripple of it through until today, right? Yeah. So, I think what we, I'm trying to say is that we have seen 
you know, the rise of the internet and the internet boom and bust and coming out of that has seen, you know, the involvement of disintermediating services like Uber and Airbnb and technologies like blockchain and Bitcoin and the peer-to-peer nature of it. So I think what we saw with crypto assets and the development of the blockchain and crypto space is that we wanted to help more people get access to the financial services available to them uh, in a more transparent, uh, fair way than currently exists in traditional securities lending, but also traditional finance where, you know, even though we are restricting access to our platform to institutional users, we will be making our data available. Currently, lending platforms will just give you a rate to say, okay, this is what we offer. You stock up your crypto on our platform. We don't give you any information on security or like custody or, you know, the legal rights to your asset. We will potentially rehypothecate that asset. That means they will, you know, trade on their own book's behalf. They will give it to clients, whatever it might be and limit your rights and transparency over where your asset is and what it can do for you. And you basically have to trust that particular platform protocol uh, that, you know, they do what they say they're going to do. We saw the issues associated with, you know, the unencumbered nature of banks who had so little transparency to consumers, to partners about what they're doing. And we sought out a way where we are doing everything by the books. We are getting regulated, even though we don't, you know, even though a lot of the people in the space aren't. We are actively talking to regulators. We are building a very detailed contractual architecture, uh, meaning that, you know, the loans made on our platform are legally enforceable uh, based on English law and other kind of jurisdictions. Uh, We have very extensive uh, KYC AML rules that people have to sign up to and agree to because we want to make sure that people who are trading against each other, particularly in on the lending side, can trust each other. And we have rules and lending terms, which defines what the terms are upfront so people can agree on those terms before they're borrowing and lending uh, so that, you know, they're not going to say at the end of the day, okay, I've lent my asset out. Uh, you or the counterparty have lost all my assets. Where is it? I didn't agree to this. You know, you guys are bankrupt and I can't get my money back. That's all of the things we're trying to do to build trust for the space. And we're doing it because we know that's the best thing to do. And we know that over time, the crypto market is going to be much more regulated, be more transparent, be more fair to all the participants. And we want to lead the way in building that up so that other people can follow best practices when and if they decide to enter this market for their clients as institutions, but also as users so that they can feel safe in putting their assets across to people who are on our platform or people who are building other lending platforms or lending uh, projects or any other type of projects, uh, but are taking in customer funds. Awesome. You guys 
are you just went through an ICO funding round. You guys were f- funded. You've announced yeah. a bunch of partnerships. So congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Linda, where can the Crypto 101 community go to hang out with the Lending Block community? Yeah, so you can follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Um, we are on the Lending Block, so very easy to find. And we also have a Telegram community also on the Lending Block. So th- that's where ICO um, and Crypto 101 community can come hang out with us, ask any questions to the community, to the company, and get in touch and understand what we're doing. Awesome. It has been a pleasure. Thank you for your time. And I wish you and your team all the best. Thank you so much, Aaron. It was great to be here. Yo, yo, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the show, then check out the links on the show notes. And don't forget to subscribe to ICO 101 Podcast by going to the Crypto 101 Podcast feed that is found on iTunes, SoundCloud, and CastBox. Leave a positive review. Please follow me on Twitter at Sup Aaron Paul, and don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter as well at ICO101 Podcast. Until next time, peace. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.